Hello and welcome to ABC Storytime, where we tell Chinese stories to all of the non-Chinese speakers. I'm Mengxia. And I'm Sean. Today we'll be reading for you Chapter 7 of Journey to the West by Wu Zhengen, translated and adapted by Mengxia. Last time on Journey to the West, Arlongson, Kaiba to Wukong's Yugi, competed on the stage of transformations. With the help of Laozi and Erlang's dog, Erlang finally captured Sun Wukong. Wukong is brought to the execution platform. What will be the fate of our troublemaking monkey king? The heavenly troops brought the great sage equal to heaven to the execution platform and tied him to the pillar there, but he could not be harmed by guillotine nor axe, nor pierced by spear nor sword. The South Pole Star General ordered the immortals of the Department of Fire to blast him with fire, but he would not burn. He then called upon the immortals of the Department of Lightning to strike him, but they could not harm a single hair on his body. The strong demon king reported to the Jade Emperor, Your Majesty, we don't know where this great sage learned such protective powers. We cut him with axe and guillotine, burned him with fire and struck him with lightning, but could not harm a single hair on him. What should we do? A fellow so, so, how should we deal with him? The Jade Emperor said. Laozi spoke up. That monkey ate immortal peaches, drank immortal wine, and then stole and ate five bottles of golden pearls. All of these must have smelted into one solid mass, granting him a diamond hard body that cannot be harmed. I suggest that this old Taoist take him and place him into the furnace of eight trigrams. The fire of mind and body will distill the elixir of immortality from his body and reduce him to ash. The emperor commanded the guards to untie the great sage and hand him over to Laozi. The old Taoist brought the great sage back to Doshrai Temple untied him, removed the spear that pierced his scapula, and pushed him into the furnace of eight trigrams. He ordered the disciples maintaining the furnace and the youths tending the fire to fan the flames and begin distilling. The trigrams of the furnace were the trigrams of heaven, water, mountain, thunder, wind, fire, earth, and swamp. The great sage crawled beneath the trigram of wind, for where there is wind, there is no fire. The wind stirred up the smoke and his eyes turned permanently red from the ash. From that moment, his eyes were known as the Eyes of Golden Flame. Time passed quickly. Before long, 49 days had passed, and the distillation was complete. Laozi opened the furnace to take out the pearls. The great sage was rubbing the tears from his eyes when he heard the sound of the furnace being opened. He forced his eyes open and saw a light. He seized the opportunity and leapt out of the furnace. With a clatter, he kicked over the furnace of eight trigrams and walked out. The servants tending the fire, maintaining the furnace, and all of the guards and soldiers went to stop him. But the great sage was like a rabid tiger or a crazed dragon, and they were all knocked down. Laozi rushed forward to grab him, but was seized and thrown headfirst to the ground. The great sage pulled his staff from his ear, waved it about to bring it to bowl thickness, and without regard for good or evil, wreaked havoc on the palaces of heaven with such violence that the nine bright ones hid behind closed doors, and the four heavenly kings were nowhere to be seen. This time, the monkey king did not hold back. The iron staff swung east and west, and not a single immortal could stop him. He fought his way to the Palace of Transcendence, outside of Lingxiao Palace, where the master immortal Yu Sheng was stationed. Seeing the great sage on a rampage, he raised his golden flail to block him, yelling, 
Where do you think you're going? This tantrum of yours stops now. The great sage didn't stop to explain, but raised his staff. The guard raised his flail to block, and the two fell into chaotic battle. Courageous servant, known far and wide, rebel against heaven with infamous pride, the good and evil fated to meet, two towering heroes to compete. Vicious staff, agile flail, how does the righteous one prevail? The one an awesome god with a thunderous sound, the other the great sage equaling heaven, self-crowned. The golden flail and iron stave, both fabled weapons of immortals brave. Before Lingxiao Palace they flaunt their might, their skill and power. What a sight! One wants the palace for his own, the other defends heaven's throne. The fight too fierce, spells have no chance, they're evenly matched in this deadly dance. They fought a while, but neither could defeat the other. Before long, master immortal Yosheng issued a message to the Department of Thunder and summoned 36 thunder gods to surround the great sage. The great sage showed not an ounce of fear, meeting attacks from all sides with this single staff. Soon, though, the strikes from swords and halberds, whips and axes, maces and spears increased in ferocity. With a shake, the great sage transformed, taking on a three-headed, six-armed body. With a wave, the will-abiding staff became three. His six hands spinning three staves as if wheels on a cart, he whirled in the circle of thunder gods like a dervish. Though the thunder gods had cornered him into one spot, they could not close in. The yelling and fighting disturbed the Jade Emperor, who issued a decree sending divine officer Yo Yi and immortal master Yi to the western heavens to ask the Buddha for assistance. Divine officer Yo Yi and immortal master Yi traveled directly to the foothills of Soul Mountain, to the opulent Thunderclap Monastery. The four guardians and eight bodhisattvas led them to the gilded lotus platform at the back of the temple for an audience with the Buddha. What has happened that the Jade Emperor has sent two gods to the mortal plane? The Buddha asked. The messengers recounted all that had happened, from the birth of the stone monkey to his two failed appointments, to his theft of the peaches and pearls, to his capture by Laozi and Arlong, to their inability to execute him, to the current situation. That's why the Jade Emperor has sent us here to beg your assistance. Buddha spoke to the bodhisattvas in attendance. Wait here and do not disturb your meditations. I shall go resolve this situation. I won't be long. The Buddha, accompanied by monks Anuo and Jiaye, left Thunderclap Monastery and arrived outside Lingxiao Palace. They heard the sudden ear-piercing sound of yelling and found 36 thunder gods surrounding the great sage. Let the thunder gods cease their battle and let the great sage out of the barricade. Let me find out what power he really has, the Buddha said. The thunder gods immediately retreated. The great sage also withdrew his magic, returning to his original state. Furious, he challenged, What uppity hero dares to stop my battles to question me? The Buddha laughed. I am the monk Siddhartha Gautama of the Western Paradise. Ami for. Today I heard about your repeated rampages in heaven. Where did you grow up? And when did you find the way that you have become so violent and unreasonable? The great sage said, I am a sage formed of heaven and earth, an old ape of flowers and fruit. Shuilian Cave I call my home, enlightened by those I've met. I've trained magic in long life, studied power and shape-shifting. The mortal realms are too small. I'm set on conquering heaven. Lingxiao won't be forever his. Each generation gets its turn. The seat is mine based on might. A true hero strives to win. The Buddha laughed coldly. You are merely a monkey who has just now awakened. 
and you dare think so highly of yourself, wanting the Jade Emperor's throne. He has cultivated himself since childhood, and struggled bitterly for 1,750 eras, each era lasting 129,600 years. Just think, how many years has he worked to now deserve this unlimited authority? You are merely an animal who has only achieved humanity this incarnation. And you boast thus? Blasphemy! Blasphemy! You will cut your lifespan short. Repent while you can and do not speak so. Else you will meet a vicious blow that will end your life in a second and your potential will be wasted. Even if he has cultivated himself for so long, he should not have the throne forever, the great sage argued. As the saying goes, take turns being emperor. My turn comes next year. Just tell him to move out and leave the palace to me and that will be that. If he won't give me the throne, I will keep wreaking havoc and there will never be peace. Other than immortality and transformations, what other powers do you have that you should rule over heaven? I have many tricks. I have the power of 72 transformations and youth lasting 10,000 eras. I have a somersault cloud that flies 108,000 li with one shake of the body. Why can't I rule over heaven? Let's make a bet, you and I. If you are truly skilled and you can escape my right palm with one somersault, then you win. You will no longer need to fight. I will invite the Jade Emperor to come live in the Western Heavens and leave the Heavenly Palace to you. If you cannot escape my palm, you shall return to the mortal realms and cultivate yourself for a few more eras before you cause any more trouble. The Great Sage smiled and thought, This Buddha is a fool. Old Swin's somersault cloud travels 108,000 li, and his palm is not even a foot in perimeter. How would I not be able to jump out of it? And Hubbardly said, You will stand by what you say. I will. I will. He extended his right hand. His palm was the size of a lotus leaf. The great sage put away his will-abiding staff, awakened his powers, and with a shake, stood in the palm of the Buddha's hand. With a shout of, I'm off, he disappeared with a streak of cloud. The Buddha, in his infinite perception, saw that the monkey king was single-mindedly barreling forward like a chariot of wind. As he was going, the great sage suddenly saw five flesh-colored pillars rise up before him. Green mist hung in the air between them. This must be the end of the road. When I return with the Buddha as my witness, I will soon be sitting in Ling Xiao Palace. Then he thought, wait, I should leave some kind of sign so I can prove it to that Buddha. He pulled out a hair, blew on it, and called out, change. It turned into an ink brush dipped in thick black ink. He took it and wrote a line of large characters on the middle pillar. The great sage was here. After writing, he returned his hair to his body and with no sense of propriety whatsoever, left a large puddle of monkey piss at the base of the first pillar. He somersaulted back to his original spot on the Buddha's palm. I have gone and returned. Tell the Jade Emperor to give the palace to me. You piss demon monkey. You never left the palm of my hand. What do you mean? I went to the edge of heaven and saw five flesh-colored pillars surrounded by green mist. I left a sign there. I dare you to come with me and to see. No need. Look down. The great sage opened his gold-red eyes and looked down and found the words, The great sage was here, written on the middle finger of the Buddha's right hand. From the base of the right thumb wafted the stink of monkey piss. What is this? What is this? I wrote these words on the pillars that hold up the sky. Why are they on his finger? Can he see into the future? I don't believe it. I need to go see for myself. 
that great sage. He shook himself to prepare to somersault away again, but the Buddha, with one flip of his hand, threw him out the west heavenly gate. His five fingers became the gold, wood, water, fire, and earth mountain peaks, now called the Five Elements Mountain, and pressed down upon the Monkey King. Having vanquished the Monkey Yao, the Buddha summoned Anuo and Jiayie to return together to the western heaven. But Marshals Tianpeng and Tianyou hurried out of Lingxiao Palace and stopped him. Awakened one, please wait. The imperial chariot comes bearing his majesty. The Buddha turned to pay his respects. Almost immediately, an eight luan chariot, whose cover was decorated with nine shining jewels, arrived. Its arrival was accompanied by an immortal choir singing of the universe's mysteries, a scattering of rare flowers, and a spray of perfume. It stopped before the Buddha. We are grateful for your power in exterminating this monster. We hope the awakened one will remain with us for a day, so the immortals may hold a banquet in your honor as thanks. The Buddha did not want to refuse, so pressed his hands together in thanks. This old monk is here at your majesty's command. My powers are nothing. It is thanks to your majesty and our fellow immortals' hard work. I did nothing to be thanked for. The Jade Emperor commanded the immortals in the Department of Clouds to split up and invite the three pure ones, the four governors, the five elders, the six ministers, the seven star generals, the eight pole stars, the nine heavenly bodies, the ten capitals, a thousand immortals, and ten thousand sages, all to attend a banquet to thank the Buddha. He then ordered the four heavenly masters and the nine immortal maidens to open the gold jade tower, the palace of supreme mystery, and the sunshine jade banquet hall, and place the Buddha in the place of honor on the seven treasures pedestal. The seating was arranged and all manner of delicacies brought. Before long, all of the immortals began to arrive. Taoist sages, famous generals, the gods of stars and constellations, Lord Li, Nezha, and many more arrived holding flags and banners, bearing precious jewels, wondrous treasures, longevity fruits, and strange flowers as offerings to the Buddha, saying, Thanks to the Awakened One's limitless power, the Yao monkey has been subdued. Please receive this banquet as thanks for all of us. We invite the Awakened One to name this banquet. What do you say? At the pleading of the crowd, the Buddha said, Today shall be named the Banquet of Peace in Heaven. The immortals all said in unison, Perfect! Perfect. The, the Banquet, banquet of, of Peace in heaven. heaven! After this exchange, each took his seat and the banquet commenced. Gods were conversing, passing dishes of delicacies, exchanging flowers, playing harps. What a banquet! As the poem says, Monkey ruined the fest of immortal peach, more splendid the fest of heavenly peace. Luan-drawn chariots shone with glorious light. Banners on jeweled poles cut through auspicious mist. Heavenly choirs sang mysterious songs. Flutes and pipes celebrated with ringing sound. The hall perfused with sweet perfume. The gods celebrated peace in heaven this day. Once immortal after immortal had brought offerings and gifts to the Buddha, and every one of their guests was drunk. A guard on patrol arrived to report. The great sage has stuck his head out. Not to worry. The Buddha said. He pulled a card from his sleeve, upon which were written six characters in gold. An man ni ba mi hong. He handed it to An Nuo and ordered him to stick it to the mountaintop. The monk went out to the heavenly gate to the top of the five elements mountain and stuck the card firmly to a rectangular stone. The mountain seemed to take root and seal itself to the ground. There was only room for the prisoner to breathe or for a hand to stick out. The Buddha took leave of the Jade Emperor and the mortals of heaven and left through the heavenly gate with the two monks. A thought of compassion suddenly struck him. He spoke an incantation and summoned the Tuti spirit of Five Elements Mountain. 
Together with the five directional guardians, they were to keep watch over the imprisoned monkey. When the prisoner was hungry, they were to feed him iron pellets. When he was thirsty, they were to give him molten copper to drink. Once he had paid for his transgression in full, someone would come to save him. A Yao monkey dares to upturn heaven, but is subdued by the Buddha with one hand, imbibing molten copper to endure the years, eating iron pellets to pass the time. Met with this torment sent by heaven, his lot is miserable, but his life's still long. If this hero rises to struggle again, he'll then revere the Buddha and go to the West. Trapped is the body filled with evil. The good root will not die, but grow. To really escape the Buddha's hand, he awaits the monk to arise from Tang. So we just read for you chapter seven of Journey to the West. Today, I'm here with a very special guest for our season finale. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Vicky. Mengsha and I are childhood friends, and I've known Mengsha since I was six years old. I'm very happy to be here today. So um, let's start with the furnace of eight trigrams. Okay. Um, so this is where Lao Tzu distills his pearls of immortality. Mm-hmm. And tell me what you were thinking when you were um, reading through this part. Well, I was like, they had eight trigrams to use and they only tried fire on him. <laughs> and they were talking about he, how he just crawled under the wind trigram mm. to escape it. Um, I was looking up the trigrams online and there was not a whole lot that I found on this. So I'm kind of wondering like what your interpretation of like the eight trigrams were and kind of like the the history or usage of it. Yeah, okay. So trigrams as like an English word, honestly, like I had never heard of this word until I started translating this. Mm -hmm. But in Chinese, the name of the furnace is called Ba Gua Lu. Okay. And so like we're looking at a picture, like a um yeah. artist's interpretation of what the Ba Gua Lu looks like. It's like twice the height of Lao Tzu. Uh -huh. And it's got this like very classic Taoist symbol on it, which is your yin-yang symbol. Yes. And then around it is like this octagon with a series of lines. And as far as I can understand, each set of these lines is a trigram. Yes. And there are like solid lines and then there are lines that are broken in half too. that yeah. are the same length. And there's three lines in each of the eight, right? Yeah. And I think like some... Um, some forms of like fortune telling use these trigram symbols as well. Gotcha. So what is the fire of mind and body then? Is that related to the trigrams? So the fire of mind and body, I think yin and yang kind of are representations of the mind and body in a way where like mm -hmm. yin is the mind and yang is the body. So I think it's just saying that this is not like a normal fire, but it's more of like a spiritual fire. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's why, because, you know, all of the things that he has consumed has made him, like, so immortal. Nothing can penetrate him. Mm -hmm. They think that, you know, doing the yin-yang, the fire of mind and body together will potentially... I Obviously, we know that it didn't work, but right. <laughs> <Or> <laughs> the like, thought was that they yeah. could do that. Or maybe that's just, like, the fire that powers the furnace all the time, mm. right? It's not, like... Um, that is the essence of the furnace. And so if you put someone in there, they... Right. They or will like, maybe there's like some magic that's powering the fire like yeah. here. I just think it's funny that like the way like Lao Tzu describes how he thinks, like his hypothesis for how this is going to work is that it's going to like burn up all the parts of Sun Wukong that aren't 
these like immortality pearls and he's just gonna get like a lump of immortality left over. <laughs> well, a lump or just ash? Because it says it will reduce his body to ash, right? Will there be anything left of right, him? And once like he's distill thrilled? out the li- elixir. So I like mm. kind of had this. I imagine it to be like, you know, how the whole like crucible thing mm-hmm. of like you burn out all the imp- yeah, impurities yeah. and you get gold left over. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of how I imagined it. <laughs> Well, we know that it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about the Buddha. Um, let's talk about the whole, like, bet with the Buddha. And mm-hmm. um, Wukong is, like, so confident that he can jump out of the Buddha's palm. And he, like, comes across these pillars holding up the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's another occasion where everyone in this story is like what you don't know who i am like i am this person this person yeah um and so when you and sean had talked before about how oh you're gonna give him some slack because every other opponent that he's met (laughs) is also affronted that yeah doesn't know who they are i'm like okay maybe like the arrogance is shared amongst everyone um but then when he pulls the stunt of like trying to somersault off the buddha's hand and he just decides to pee at the base of one of these pillars that is actually the Buddha's thumb. I'm like, okay, well now I am not. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, as he's just like marking his about. territory, right? He's like a monkey. But yeah, but did he have to? He could have. I don't know. No, no. He could have done it another way. It's just it's, so arrogant it of is. him. You know, it's really funny too because he writes um, the like the great sage was here on the Buddha's middle finger. And in Chinese, it's this line of characters. It sounds like super elegant. It goes, mm-hmm. right? And I was like debating how to translate this. And I was researching this phrase, and in modern Chinese, people have co- like co-opted it as a like a graffiti phrase. Really? Yeah. And so like people just like graffi- graffiti that like, they were there by uh-huh. saying, yeah. And so I decided to go with like something that sounds like modern graffiti, uh-huh. even though it like really doesn't. Um, That's like, wait. So people actually did that like on walls and stuff. And yeah, in China? people will like write it on like you know like under bridges and mm-hmm. stuff. Is it still a thing that happens like yeah. to this day? Yeah, it's just like a, oh. a reference that transcends everybody knows. time. Yeah. <laughs> but it like doesn't sound elegant anymore. Like once you put it in English like that. Yeah. <laughs> but no one graffitis like elegant phrase couplets in English, so it doesn't really Do they graffiti out. it in calligraphy? <laughs> Probably some do. <laughs> Chinese calligraphy is so pretty. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Buddha's fingers though, I you know, I normally think of the elements as water, earth, wind, and fire you know, like Avatar. I know, we were just talking about Avatar the last year. Yeah, so the fact that Buddha's fingers became the gold, wood, water, fire, and earth element, mountains doesn't make total sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, why gold and wood instead of wind? Like, is there um, a significance of why they chose those two? I know gold is very significant in, mm-hmm. like, Chinese culture as well, but, like, why those instead of the normal elements? Like, why is there no air, right? Yeah, why is there no air or wind? Um, and I, I get that, you know, there's only 
four of the traditional elements when you're looking at it from an avatar perspective and he has five fingers so they needed to come up with something else but I just thought it was interesting like the substitutions that they made and I wanted to know if you had any thoughts about that yeah so these five are the traditional Chinese elements Mm -hmm. and so like the planets are named after them um so like Venus we've talked about is the gold star like Mm -hmm. and so you have Jupiter is the wood star Mars is the fire star in Japanese also the days of the weeks are named after the five traditional Chinese elements Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So you have, like, Wednesday is water day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that is just, like, part of the cosmology. I don't know why they didn't consider air to be an element. Maybe because... Okay, so I'm, like, trying to think, like, where tea is in traditional Chinese cosmology. And when mm-hmm. I say tea, you're not thinking about air. You're thinking about breath yeah like an about exhale like the, or like like the your energy right yeah Taoists. Like right 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 or like the chi like yeah, yeah. whatever it's translated into <laughs> in english but yeah yeah so i think maybe they viewed air more as like a human thing mm. rather than like a nature thing i'm yeah. just speculating so i remember looking this up but in the furnace of the eight trigrams so i think it's also kind of different yes from the traditional elements they have like, but that's like a buddhist oh. or is it Tao? Da- i forget so the, the eight trigrams are Taoist. Taoist, yeah. yeah so how did they choose or choose i guess the symbols for all eight of those trigrams and yeah you know, instead of the traditional Chinese elements. Obviously, there's eight here, and right. I know some of them are replicated. Like, I know you had swamp. As... No, swamp is a weird one. It is a weird one. I know um, when I was looking online, it was like either lake or river or marsh or swamp. Those were all like yeah. possible options that you could we use. We also, when I was like looking this up for to translate like what each of the trigrams stood for, like there was one trigram that had like two different interpretations that were just not even like close to mm-hmm. each other. It's not even like lake and swamp. It was like. I don't remember what I but said. But was the opposite? Because I know they're like opposites of each other. And the lake, river, swamp, whatever is opposite was mountain, right? Mm. Um, oh, yes. Here yeah, are the names are. of the... And there's a trigram of wood and wind. Yeah, so there's like two and one. Th- I think that's the one I was was um, talking about. And like in the, in the script um, for the podcast, I just picked one of them. Because it just like... It's weird to have a list of eight things and then one of the things is wood and wind. Yeah. (laughs) But then what's the opposite? What is... Because each of the, Mm -hmm. like, points of the trigram has an opposite. So which one is the one that has an opposite? Because wood and wind are not the same and so they have different opposites, right? Yeah, that's... It's very strange. And also, like... It would only work as wind in this story because, like, Wukong crawls under the trigram exactly. of wood. Exactly. Yeah. Right? To so it's like they just completely the ignored the trigram of wood. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of this, um, a lot of the, like, mythology I'm, like, encountering for the first time as well in this translation. So let's see. And it's interesting, too, that it says where there is wind, there is no fire. Mm-hmm. But you need wind to you fan the flame. You need, I mean, you kind of need wind. People blow on a fire to make it bigger. It's not just air, it's wind, right? <laughs> like, if you just have still air, a fire does not grow bigger. But if you kind of fan it, it grows bigger. So that's why there's, like, a contradiction in my brain yeah. where it's, like, there is wind when there's fire. Just not a lot of it, because obviously yeah. if you have enough wind, you blow out the fire. But right. And yeah. that's, may- that's probably what they're going for. Or at least, like, the mm-hmm. wind is, like, making the smoke... 
like more intense yeah. under there. Yeah, turns his eyes red. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this f- phrase that I translated, um, eyes of the golden flame, is jing, which, okay, people in Chinese quote Journey to the West like people in English quote Shakespeare. Okay. Right? So there are so many references. jing is now someone who's like very observant. Mm, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. But, and also, like, it's used in the rest of the story. It's, like, people know him as, like, Jingjing. Like, he's known for his red eyes. Yeah. But, like, when you actually read this part of the story in Chinese, it sounds like a disease. <laughs> <laughs> like, his eyes are just, like, permanently inflamed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then people give him the name based on that. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting how that changes over time. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't know that about the current usage of yeah. that. Um, so could we talk about the card that Buddha asks Anwa to stick mm-hmm. on top of the mountain? Yep. It's six syllables yep. long. And at first when I read it, it didn't seem like there was an explanation. He was just like, take this card and put it on top of the mountain. Yeah. And then the mountain just like solidifies and mm-hmm. holds him there. And so I was kind of curious as to what the significance of that card is and whether it actually has some meaning outside of just the ability to seal a yeah. monkey inside of a mountain. <laughs> um, yeah, why don't you read the um, what you found? Yeah, so Tibetan Buddhists used to chant these six syllables. Um, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's Anmani Ba Mi Hong or something. Mm-hmm. I think we were looking it up. I think it's all first tone when we were recording this. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and so they chant it in a hope to eliminate misfortune and eventually reach pure land. And it was difficult to find a translation or meeting online. And I found some people say that, you know, the translators were well aware that when you chant this, the reverberation and resonance, um, which a mantra brings on has like an audio impact that often exceeds what a textual message would convey. So... Um, I think that's why some people have avoided translating it mm-hmm. altogether. But yeah, I, there was like the, a really long translation um, that was like an utmost reverence, the sacred mantra, all beings have Buddha nature. And just as the rare Manji jewel, as long as they purify their body, mouth and mind with perseverance, like the pure lotus flower, they will reveal their true nature and become enlightened. This is the fundamental, amazing essence of enlightenment for all Buddhas, which is a very long translation given that it's only six syllables. But I mean, it makes total sense if the Journey to the West series in essence is about attaining enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they kind of leave us off at this point with this phrase as maybe a foreshadowing to what's to come because you know the monkey has been so like naughty i guess (laughs) like you know has been wreaking havoc and in heaven and you know with his demons and um i think this is like the journey eventually to reach enlightenment and i think they're kind of giving us a hint as to what's to come Mm mm-hmm with these six syllables, but you kind of have to look for it yourself. I feel like it doesn't... In the story itself, they don't kind They're of reveal gonna, Yeah, that. they don't tell yeah. you. And I don't know how, like, familiar most readers of the original Chinese text are with a mantra like that to, like, know mm-hmm. what it's referring to. Also, that, like, super long translation is making me wonder if it's, like, an abbreviation of some kind where, like, each 
maybe each syllable is standing in for like a whole set of things. Yes. I think we'd have to go back to what the original language that this was written. Cause right, because it's not Chinese. It, no, it's not Chinese, which I thought was so interesting about this whole story, too, of how much it borrowed from mm-hmm. like other languages, from Buddhism, from yeah. you know all of that. And um, a lot of the phrases, like... Omi yeah. like That's not originally Chinese, either. That's just like the phonetic translation of mm-hmm. what it was what yeah. was the original language was it sanskrit no or something we have there are a lot of sanskrit local yeah words in this text. so i thought it was so interesting because this work was written so long ago and it i feel like it has so much that was not mm-hmm. originated from yeah. china yeah and even like the yaksha the like the little the water demon that like patrols the sea yaksha is a loan word from sanskrit also so mm. there's also like a lot of mythology kind of like must be like flowing down the Silk Road or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are just borrowing the names from like the original source of mythology and stuff like that too. Yeah, which is very impressive to me because I had never read this before. I'd only watched the 1990s Mm -hmm. cartoon. Yeah. And as a kid, you don't really pay attention to where certain phrases come from and it's not until i'm revisiting this as an adult and listening to your podcasts and following along online that i'm realizing the origins of all these names and all these like cultural references Mm -hmm. and and stories like you see all these cartoons and like the fun little icons that they have (laughs) in the animated videos and you don't realize that you're looking at like a Taoist trigram right like (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure let's talk about this feast a little bit oh like after they seal him and they're like oh yeah let's have like a thanks to the buddha Buddha, because he was gonna leave and then everyone was like we want to celebrate you for containing yeah (laughs) monkey demon please stay so that we can celebrate right and i'm just gonna say i cut a ton out of this feast like in the original text literally like one person will come up, they will have a poem about the offering that they're yeah. presenting to the Buddha, <laughs> and then the next person will come up and there will be another poem about mm-hmm. like the offering. Like literally every single important person that we've met like comes up and like is like, sorry, I don't have that much to offer you, but here's like what I've got. That's what I noticed too. <laughs> I was like the um longevity star that's literally what he said he's like sorry i don't have anything to offer you and then proceeds to offer him a magic herb and a variety of other symbolic and precious gifts like i think you and sean mentioned this a couple episodes ago too of the culture of kind of belittling yourself Mm -hmm. in front of people who are more senior or superior to you and so they all say yeah i don't have anything like Mm -hmm. this is trash i'm like (laughs) worthless but here is like literally the most precious thing that i have in my region or my kingdom or something like that yeah um i thought that just like echoed i mean it's a a theme in all like chinese culture chinese literature but like you see it so much and you cut so much out of it too and it still is a prevailing theme yeah okay we're gonna get a little bit personal here do you feel like your parents like growing up that they like impressed this like culture of humility on you or like this the whole like confucian thing of like respecting your elders but like to what extent do you feel like this is now part of your culture i think so to answer your question yes 
it was a part of my upbringing, but I don't think it was as strict as what I am now learning mm-hmm. about other people's childhoods mm-hmm. or the traditional Chinese upbringing. Mm-hmm. I think through the process of my parents immigrating to the U.S., I mean, they spent some years in Germany too. And so I think they got kind of westernized along yeah. the way. And so it was still like very much in my upbringing that, you know, you respect your elders mm-hmm. and every generation above you deserves like more and more respect. Yeah. But it wasn't like, I think it was brought upon in a very kind way, Mm -hmm. in a very like educational way. And like, they would reprimand me if I, you know, spoke back to them or like argued with them (laughs) um, because that did happen a couple times, but I don't think it was ever like contentious. I don't think I ever tried to like Mm. fight back. And I don't know if that's just part of my personality, but like I understood the hierarchical nature of our relationship and it wasn't until I really graduated college that my parents and I began to have more like peer to peer conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, But I liked that part of my upbringing. Like I liked growing up having that respect ingrained in the relationship because I just, I think it makes For me, at least, I know everyone's experience is different, but I liked having that kind of boundary between parent and kid, and now that boundary has shifted because they see me as a fully grown adult, and Mm -hmm. I can make my own decisions and be independent and take care of myself, and so that relationship has changed over time. And that's, that's like, not everyone can say they, mm-hmm. like, make that transition smoothly, I think. Yeah, like, I consider myself lucky because yeah. I have heard stories from other people where it hasn't gone as smoothly. But I do give my parents credit Yeah, for that. Because, like, when I was... Um, I have this, like, very vivid memory of, like, growing up when I was, like, quite young, maybe seven or something like that, and we went to, like, a Chinese New Year celebration. We were living in, like... My parents were grad students at the time, and so we were, like, in these grad student mm-hmm. housing apartment. And so all the... Chinese students in the building held this like like celebration and there were hongbao like the red envelopes and one of the adults was saying to all the kids oh you have to like to your elders bow your head like like kneel and like put your head on the ground oh I've never done that right I've never done that either (laughs) but like I remember like some of the kids were just like I don't care just give me the money like I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I was like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not like, I don't know you. Also, like, it wasn't like a close knit group. Like uh-huh. there were just other people who lived in the apartment building. And so and this I, was in the US, right? I was in the US. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know you. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. Like, I wouldn't even do that to my own parents. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's I think it's extreme. also because I didn't grow up seeing any of that in media. I didn't see it around me. And so mm-hmm. it didn't feel common to me. But I mean, but even when people, like, do it in Chinese media nowadays, like, in C-dramas and stuff, it's, like, very exaggerated, mm-hmm. right? It's, like, you're doing it for the king or, like, yeah. whatever, right? Not to random onto your uncle who's giving <laughs> you, like, $20. <laughs> if it was even $20. Like yeah. Right. Um, but one thing I do remember pretty vividly is when we when you get to the 
you know, middle school or junior high age and kids get a little sassy with their parents, you know, and they start calling their parents by their first names. Like, oh, Deborah did this or Jessica did that. And I remember like the first time I heard that being so appalled. Oh, I was so like, uncomfortable. How do people call their parents by their first names? Like I would never get away with that. I can't even call my friend, my parents' friends by their first names. I can't either. Even if they're white and, like, yeah. ask me to. Well, I mean, even now, I don't know my parents' friends' names, half of them. It's <laughs> always Ai and Shu Shu. Right. Like, Ai this, Ai that. I couldn't tell you, like, what right. they're actually called because for, you know, my whole entire life, you use the respectful term of, like, auntie and uncle mm-hmm. when addressing everyone. And yeah. I never addressed my parents by their first name. I never referred to them by their first name. I obviously knew what it was, <laughs> but it never – it was, like, so taboo in my mind. Like, yeah. how could I ever do that, you know? <laughs> it just seemed, like, way too casual for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I I – that's one part of my – cultural part of my childhood that I – like look back on fondly and something that I would like to to pass mm. down to maybe not to the extent of you know how um, Chinese families in China raise their kids now but just um, uh, like respectful terms to mm-hmm. the next generation above yeah. you of like aunties and uncles it's sort whatever. of like the idea but not like the law of it mm-hmm. yeah yeah I don't know maybe I just like rules I like following rules <laughs> <laughs> I think boundaries are generally a good thing <laughs> Yeah. All right. Should we wrap it up there? Sure. Unless there... I mean, I'm really looking forward to um, the rest of the stories, and I hope you invite me back sometime. Yeah. <laughs> because this was a lot of fun to read and prepare for, and um, it keeps me in touch with the stories that I grew up hearing or cartoons that I grew up watching as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I will continue to tune in even if I um, am not on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, this was really fun. We would definitely have you back. And I think um, hopefully in the future, maybe we can get some other voices on here as well. Definitely. Really nice. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Like poems in his voice. Help. <laughs>